Okay, Mary. So I dug into our personal archive and I made a short list of things that have sisters in the title in honor of this Kaya book, which is a sister story. What do you think? I can't wait. Let's do it. Okay. So I have this short list and I would like you to rank them one to five in order of best sister representation. So we have Kaya's A Sister Story, The Mm -hmm. Sister's Song in White Christmas, Sister, Sister, Sisters, starring Swoozie Kurtz. I'm only mentioning her for personal reasons, followed by Sisters, starring (laughs) Tina Fey and Amy Poehler. Oh my God. This is really hard. It is really hard. Let me think about this. Um, I'm going to give Tina Fey and Amy Poehler last place with sisters because I like their in like their real life partnership. That movie, you know, is like not necessarily their best work. I'm going to tragically give sisters the show starring Susie Kurtz fourth place or whatever number we're at now, because tragically it also stars julia something who was bruce springsteen's first wife and just Mm. every time i think about that show now i'm being forced to remember bruce springsteen that bleak moment listening to the tunnel of love album like lots happening next i'm giving hmm you know what i'll do sister sister and they're getting that because of jack a more than the tn tamara of it all because i do think there's a lot of weirdness in their real life relationship right now and i would love for a hero out there to investigate and get back to me there's a lot there that's a deep well and then second place i'm giving to kaya because i do think there's like really beautiful strong sister energy there that we should all take on i would give her first place but as listeners may or may not know, I am a huge Rosemary Clooney stan and I love her performance in that movie. So that has to be number one. And if people don't know, she actually duetted with her real life sister, Betty, and Vera just lip synced in the movie. So she actually was duetting with her real life sister. So I'm giving that number one. I'll just say this in tight places, we think and we act as one. <sighs> that's us, Allison. I think that's true. Those who've seen us know that not a thing could come between us many men have tried to split us up but no one can lord help the mister who comes between me and my sister and lord help the sister who comes between me and my man Okay, welcome everyone to American Girls the Podcast. This is the show where we're reliving the American Girls series book by book. I'm Mary. I'm still Allison. Allison, how are you? It's so good to see you. You know, I'm I'm feeling good about this book. I'm feeling really excited and rejuvenated. I think we've turned a corner with where we are in the Kaya series. And, you know, are we in a heat wave? Sure. Are internet systems slowly failing us? Also sure. But, you know, it's ice cream season and soon we'll be in cancer season, which I also enjoy. So good things. How about you? Those are all wonderful things. Um, Did I have ice cream today? Yes. Did I get it all over myself? Also, yes. Not ashamed. You came in here on a real vibe. Like speaking of heat wave, like you came in here hot to talk about this book and that kind of filled me with new energy for this whole situation. And I, we, spoiler alert, we both really like this book, but before we get into the Kaya of it all, what are you reading or watching this week? 
that is worth kind of sharing. Mary, I judge books by their covers when I'm getting ready to go on a trip because I need things to fit basically around my hand. So, you know, I go through my (laughs) usual perusal at my bookstore and I see a book that's in the $7 bin, which is like exactly what I want to spend. So I pick up The Dearly Beloved by Kara Wall. And I'm like, okay, we know Kara's. They're great people. Sure. So I picked this up. This book completely blew me away. It's a kind of a pair of love stories of two people who developed this bond over the years. And I feel like I read half of it with a lump in my throat. I just loved this book and it completely took me by surprise because I was like, I chose you because you're $7, but I love you because you're priceless. Oh my God. No, I'm serious. I wow. really loved this book. What about, I, I, I mean, Wow. I wrote down that title. Like I'm taking this very seriously. Yeah. I don't know if I have anything I'm feeling that strongly about. I mean, you're like in very deep with this book. So I'm happy for you. God bless. Uh, I would recommend Hacks with starring the one and only Jean Smart, which is a really strong pivot from what she was playing in Mayor of Easttown, which is now over RIP. But it's really funny and and really kind of she's really great in it. So if you have access to that, I would definitely check it out. It's I would say I guess people are saying it's sort of based on Joan Rivers, but I'm not really thinking about that when I'm watching it. It does seem a bit different. So, you know, Jean Smart can do no wrong to me. That's just how I feel. I love that. And we're kind of recording a little bit early for scheduling reasons. And so we haven't seen the debut of Bachelorette Katie, but I wanted us to kind of tease this out for a second because we also had, you know, with the last Bachelor season, our timing just never lined up right. You know, we never really got a chance to delve into all of this or where Katie come from came from. I do wonder, given the controversy over the skin salesman, air quotes, If Kaya was Bachelorette, how would that go? I think it would be kind of wild because I think what I've seen from her in a way that I think is somewhat admirable and kind of gives me Molly vibes is that she's very independent, even as she wants to be part of the group. So when she's told specifically not to do something, it seems like she does stumble into doing that exact thing her own way. And there has been a lot of shame spirals, which I'm not a huge fan of, but I do think it would be interesting to see how she might subvert any of the weird dates they might send her on or any of the awkward activities or the forced conversations. So I think she would do pretty well in it. I don't know. What do you, but what about you? Kaya is very loyal. So I think that that could really help her or could hurt her. We don't know with the new host. I think Kaya would be very drawn to men or women with mysterious jobs, but that revolve around animals. So even if someone was like pretending to be a dog walker, but if their bio lower third was just like dog lover or like very interested in wolves, Alternatively, I kind of feel in this book that we learned that Kaya loves to attend a game. So I think she would do really well in the episodes where there are contrived athletic activities. And I think she would fall for someone potentially whose lower third was just sports fan. I didn't see that from her, but this book really showed me. Yeah. I mean, we get to see kind of her athletic prowess this book, and that was really fun to see. I do think, you know, in past seasons, they have these date premises where it's basically so that no one has to speak if the bachelor or bachelor is really awkward. 
And I think cartel would be sort of sporting events or um, horse related activities. So I think if they could bring on a horse trainer too, that would be a good move. I read recently an expose um, shared by a friend about Ari, who is the person I hate the most in The Bachelor, like The Bachelorite. Well, this is hard to say. I mean, I like him the least, I should say. And he, someone did like a one-on-one with him and like a day or two in his life in Scarsdale, um, in Arizona. And he comes off even less likable than before you read this piece. But in one of his reveals, he says that he had a signal with producers where if he touched his eyebrow, it meant he was no longer enjoying the conversation he was in and they should get him out of it. So I was kind of wondering like what Kaya's tell would be. I think Kaya's tell would be something with Tatlo, where she would use her dog to get out of the conversation. I don't think she's willing to ever put Tatlo at risk, but I think she is willing to kind of say, you know, like Tatlo says it's time. Yeah. Tatlo, or you could say like Tatlo really knows people and he doesn't yeah. seem to like you. So we're just going to have to move on. It's sort of like, this isn't planned, but I did watch an episode of murder. She wrote last night where a dog could tell who murdered people. And, you know, like his owner, like companion was basically like, this dog knows who killed that man. And he's not telling, he's not prepared to speak on that. And Jessica was like, I do not have time for this. Like, First of all, I'm trying to solve this crime and I'm on a deadline for my next book. So like, let's stop with the games. Okay. Okay. Same Jessica. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> Allison, I will not hear one negative word about Jessica Beatrice Fletcher. No, not on I this know. show. I know. Oh my God. Yeah. Okay. But that's fair. I mean, I'm open to the theory that she's actually murdered everyone on the show and she's, you know, kind of subverting people's attentions, other directions. I mean, that's possible. I don't know, but I think Tatlo could get to the bottom of it. And I think that Kaya's date with men who, or women who would be less interesting to her would be actually salmon fishing. And we'll talk about that because it's extensively covered in this book, but we learn over and over how loud it is at the falls. And I just imagine Kaya with, you know, this person of interest, you know, Tatlo's just to the side and they're, you know, trying to get ready to catch the salmon. And Kaya's just like, oh, sorry. What? Oh, sorry. Didn't hear you. And she's touching her eyebrow. She's like so weird. Yeah. She's, you know, she's got her hair in beautiful braids. She's touching the eyebrow and the producers are like, it's a cut. (laughs) They're like, we're ready to move on. Thank you. I'm just really happy that Chris Harrison isn't involved this season. And we didn't really cover Matt James's season. And I thought that was actually the right choice because we were both just really uncomfortable with everything that happened and the way that it was handled. And there wasn't ultimately that much to say that wasn't said by um, Rachel, who's like a strong critic of the show, actually backed out of um, being kind of an official commentator for Access Hollywood on it, because as the first Black Bachelorette, I think she felt exploited, rightfully so, by the show to kind of defend their behavior around race. So, I mean, I'm not entering the season without trepidation, but I also, I think fully knowing what this is and being openly critical of it gives us a space to also, you know, make light of its other foibles and obviously, you know, weird embrace of understanding of relationships and sexuality that are also like antiquated and not helpful. Speaking of not helpful, shall we? Wow, what a transition. Thank you. Yes, let's get into this book. 
Warby Parker is committed to providing exceptional vision care online and in stores, offering eyeglasses, sunglasses, eye exams, and contact lenses. Glasses start at $95, including prescription lenses, sunglasses, progressives, and blue light lenses are also available. I had a really great experience ordering Warby Parker glasses, starting off with their home try-on kit. I'm someone who notoriously has a tough time deciding between things, especially when it comes to clothes or anything like that. So glasses, things I wear every day, that, that always feels like a big commitment to me. So I was really fortunate and grateful that Warby Parker offers this promotion where you can go on and pick five different frames that you like and you can get them shipped to you for free to try them on and then you can send them back also for free when and make your decision about which frames you want to buy. So I ordered five different frames. I asked pretty much everyone in my life what they thought and then proceeded to pick the frames that no one seemed to favor. You know, that's just my lifestyle. I'm always seeming to look for a Daria type frame um, and that's what I ended up selecting. I can't recommend it enough. The glasses are really sturdy. So if you're also someone like me who kind of drops them sometimes, you don't have to worry. And I've just been really happy. This is my third pair of Warby Parker classes that I've ordered. So try Warby Parker's free home try-on program. Order five pairs of glasses to try at home for free for five days. There's no obligation to buy. It ships free and includes a prepaid return shipping label. Try five pairs of glasses at home for free at warbyparker.com slash americangirlspod. Okay, so I'm going to give us the publisher summary. And for those of you who have been following along and reached out to us saying that you're really enjoying these books, but also struggling with some of the difficult topics that come up, right? And the challenges that Kaya faces, Kaya Shows the Way does hit some happier notes. So I do want to let folks know that right, right off the bat or off the stick as, as we'll learn in this book. Wow. So this is book five. We've made it folks. And typically this would be a saves the day, but instead they said, pick a different S and we got a sister story. Summertime means salmon fishing at thundering Salilo Falls and horse racing, games, parades, feasting, and dancing too. Kaya loves to join the fun, but she's also got something serious on her mind, searching for her lost sister, Speaking Rain. Thousands of Native American families and friends gather at Salilo Falls each summer, and Kaya hopes someone may have word of her sister. They do. Kaya's older sister, Brown Deer, is on her mind too. Brown Deer will soon marry Cut Cheek, a thought that makes Kaya sad and glad. She lost one sister when she had to leave speaking rain with the enemies. Now will she lose Brown Deer? Wow. This was, this was a book where there was a lot going on, but it wasn't traumatic. So it was actually a breath of fresh for me. So this is the book where I realized that Kaya is actually the Beth of the American Girl universe. Oh my God, please say more. So we don't have a death in this book. Finally, we do have a near drowning of Kaya's dog, which is upsetting, but everyone makes it out. Kaya is so sensitive to other people. And I think the thing that I found really fascinating about this book is Kaya is at that age where you're very anxious about change and you become acutely aware of the things that you can't control. 
And one of my favorite lines in any version of Little Women is when Beth is afraid of being left behind. And we very much see that here with Kaya, where she remains concerned about her horse, who's very important to her. She's very afraid about Speaking Rain, who does reunite with the family. She's had all these different losses, and she's very anxious about her sister possibly marrying and what that means. And they chose a brilliant backdrop for this, where it's all different families getting together. And it's kind of subtly showing you, you know, people can marry and separate from the family that they're born with and still be part of this larger community. But you're going to see them on holidays and special summer gatherings, not all the time. Yeah, I think it does a really nice job of centering Kaya as she's trying to process change over time, basically, but also because of her age position in the family, she's not yet at that place where she's fully trying to differentiate from the rest of the family group and figure out what her life will be, you know, with, as a partnered with someone or, you know, just within the tribe more generally or within her family, but she's seeing that her sister is at that place. And I think she's trying to make sense of that. And then as we learn, speaking rain is also making choices in her life that are going to take her at least at some remove from what Kaya, you know, would have in her dream scenario to see her navigate change, I think is, this is probably one of the better change books in the series, I think that we've read. Yeah. And in other books, fives, right. Of the different series. If we think about Samantha and Molly as two recents in their fifth books, they both deal with aquatic crises, shall we say. There's near drownings. There is a lot of issues with them and they have to save the day in this very kind of poignant way, Uh, but also with a kind of contrived crisis, right? Molly at camp and Samantha at her own camp. I absolutely loved the opening of this book and chapter one, which is called The Sound of the Falls. And just the opening line, long before Kaya could see the waterfalls on the river ahead, she began to hear their voices. And this book, I think, has some of the most beautiful writing, definitely Mm -hmm. of the Kaya series, if not of all the books that we've read. And if we remember what Janet did with book five in Kirsten, hard to forget, that (laughs) book really goes kind of off course in, in literal and figurative ways. This book immediately, like no pun intended, pulled me in and kind of pulled me under to this moment where Kaya is observing the way that everyone is reacting to these waterfalls that are hugely important to her family, to her culture. And there's this amazingly well-written series of paragraphs about how the people that she's with have to basically get the consent of the salmon that they are hunting and gathering to make this work. And the waterfall is this beautiful, I feel like I'm in ninth grade English, but it's this beautiful <laughs> metaphor it. of you can sometimes hear trouble before you see it, but you still can't wrap your head around it. And it's just this beautiful open of like, all these things are about to change and Kaya is changing. And it's like, she's hearing it, but she can't interpret the voices. And I just thought that was so well done, right? Like there's parts of these books that honestly really touched me. And I think this book was the best for me so far. Yeah, I definitely think this is the best book so far. I really like that opening scene as well, where you also see how they 
one, try to explain um, the falls and the role that it plays in the life of their tribe and within kind of like the natural world more broadly. But then you see their kind of comforting styles to one another as well, where, you know, um, Sparrow says the water sounds angry and Brown Deer responds, but the river's our friend and you'll soon get used to its roar. And so she's kind of just sort of going directly to comfort them like, yep, I know it's scary. And you know, you'll get used to it. And then when the grandmother is hearing the two twins kind of being upset, um, she actually, I thought in a really generous moment, pivots and has Kaya use a story about a coyote to explain how the falls came to be or how the coyote created the falls through kind of like a story of trickery um, in which he pulls down um, a dam that had been there and creates kind of the falls and whatever, and this salmon then swim upstream. And it's this really beautiful and like fun explanatory story. But I thought the generous, the generosity in that moment was we're so used to the grandmother kind of just unprompted stepping into different moments to offer a story to explain either a challenge that Kai is facing or more broadly to offer kind of unsolicited instruction to the younger generations of women in the tribe. And here she actually gives Kaya a place of power in that moment where she's not comforting the twins, but she invites Kaya to do it. And I thought that was kind of a sign of how Kaya is changing, that she's not fully grown up, certainly, but that she's stepped into this place where she can share stories. And Kaya is so aware of the power of what she's doing. Like you're saying, it's a really cool and special moment because she can be big. And I think where it's been challenging in other books is Kaya is made to feel small. She's given a nickname she doesn't like. And here she's telling the coyote story and she observes because he was thinking about the story, he was no longer frightened. And it's such a beautiful way to connect with readers specifically, right? That you can be taken out of your life by a story. And just thinking of this place, I, of course, looked up photos of what this looks like. And we'll talk about why it looks so different today. But you think of the biggest waterfall you've ever seen. It's exciting. It's scary. And they're really, really close to it. And I love that they're thinking of their relationship with the water as it's speaking this language we don't understand. And is it angry? Is it excited? And that's such great foreshadowing for what comes later, which is the return of Kaya's sister, who, for lack of better phrasing, ends up being kind of a, a cultural and linguistic translator between two different cultural groups. So it's this really cool moment where it's like, how do we understand these voices around us? And the grandmother saying, like, it's Kaya's time to tell you how to understand yeah. And you can just kind of imagine in a meta way, like young girls or boys reading this book and seeing this as something that they want for themselves too, that they want a moment where they feel seen or heard by their parents or classmates or whatever. And so it's like, that's really inspirational, but also that, you know, something can happen in your life that kind of takes you out of yourself, or it's a pivot that you don't expect and you have to adjust to it. I think having a story like that for readers is really helpful because, you know, things happen all the time. Kids have to live through things, you know, unforeseen challenges all the time. And this kind of shows a beautiful way to sort of um, meet challenges, but also being accepting of things you can't change. Um, and just kind of a very human way, like feeling frustrated, feeling scared, all of that stuff is in this book. And I thought that was really well done. Also a very, very smart representation, I think, of the differences in gendered 
divisions of labor in this community and the different ways that people are coming together. And this notion over and over of them needing to communicate with the fish and the water to get what they need. And that this is a reciprocal relationship, right? That they are in dialogue with each other and with these other groups who are outside of their typical kind of people that they see. And the smart focus on brown deer as trying to prepare herself to kind of look good for marriage. It's funny, but I kept thinking of this book in certain ways and how it reminded me of movies and depictions of teenagers, right? There's a sporting event. They are basically all out on a trip together and they're meeting new people and they're kind of having these interactions. But then there's these brilliant kind of jabs, I think, where we're reminded, you know, the Nez Perce don't take more than they need. They don't fish to excess. They have this really, you know, smart and useful equilibrium between what men do and what women do and how they kind of figure this out. And you're snapped back out of it. Like, no, this isn't just people courting. This is a highly significant cultural moment for indigenous people who are not just horse people, but I read salmon people. This is a really important thing to them. And I thought this book played with that brilliantly through the eyes of a nine to 10 year old, right? Like she's seeing this on different layers and she's being reminded they don't take more than they need just for the sake of it, which is the exact opposite of the you know, kind of pioneer mindscape. And even again, thinking of Kirsten, she takes all those furs because she can. Yeah, hundred percent. And I think that's something that's interesting about Janet being both the author of the Kirsten books and these books, because on the one hand, you know, we don't see any awareness of taking advantage of nature in the depiction of Kirsten. It's just like, these people are trying to survive like RIP Marta. We all remember that, you know, it's a day-to-day struggle, all of these different things. And it's not like what's breathing in through that book is a sense of like, yes, and this is not a reciprocal relationship with nature. It's actually just presented as natural, which is also like contrived anything, like there's nothing that's truly natural. So it's weird for her then to write these books and to present indigenous culture in an accurate way as having a very spiritual and centered and grounded understanding of having, you know, taking, being grateful for your relationship with the land and asking permission and not taking more than you need and all of this. But what does it mean that Janet's writing that? And is there a danger, I guess, of kind of leaning into a different kind of stereotype, which is like perfect indigenous culture? Yeah. And there's definitely moments where the way that people are attuned with their surroundings, I think we've talked about this before with Kaya's sister and there has been some criticism that because she is not able to see, there's other kinds of almost like powers that seem to be imbued with her with the way that she connects with the world. But it does seem in this book, it fits more in a context of For example, in a later chapter, a big storm comes and there seem to be several people who are acutely aware of this coming and they have a sense of how they need to respond. Yeah. I mean, I guess I just wonder, is this also part of the situating of these stories before true like colonial contact in that it allows the books to represent a period of Nez Perce history that we don't often get to see, which is when it was at its height in terms of not having to deal with the imperialist forces and deprivations that would come later. 
But at the same time, do you also get into a danger of getting into the territory of like caricature? Like these people are not human. They always do the right thing, et cetera, et cetera, which is also maybe a potential danger of the American Girl series writ large, not just Kaya. Well, I think if book two hadn't happened, right? So in this book, we're getting this understanding that the falls are this kind of uh, crossroads, for lack of a better word. They're a place where communities come together, people who don't typically live with each other and who identify differently, right? We have Salish, we have Nez Perce, and this is where people are making partnerships in terms of trading, and they're also setting up marriages. And we know that this isn't some kind of, they're not part of some sort of idyllic, homogenous, indigenous community, because in book two, other forms of contact led to enslavement. And part of how Kaya knows Two Hawks and other people, and part of where we go with her sister's story is a consequence of her enslavement. So in some ways, though, I wish that this book had happened before to establish that there are these cultural contact points that people have, for example, around the falls. And then it would have made more sense to kind of put us to a place, you know, and there are frictions, right? Of course, these are people. And, And I think it would have made more sense to us. I'll also say like in my vocal context, it was really stunning to me. And some of this is probably imperial tropes, but the extent to which this is so similar to other histories where we are in New England, that places that were plentiful and had waterfalls were meeting places, right? You don't live on top of a waterfall and there might be other topographies better other times a year, but you have this culture of coming together select times a year to form these partnerships. It's it's not summering in the elite way, but it's summering in a way that works with natural and local ecologies. So I guess that begs the question, is the song Don't Go Chasing Waterfalls actually an imperialist enterprise because it's encouraging you not to do something that's actually life-giving? Well, they don't chase the waterfalls. They're still appropriately scared of them. But they it's part of their life every year that they go to the waterfall. I mean, they're not chasing it, but they're certainly choosing to live alongside it to engage in this like really rich community life. say this if you think it's a coincidence that hot in here came out around the same time as this book wow i don't know what to say to you so here's like a quick portrait of what's going on in the world we have skater boy hot in here complicated and a moment like this swirling around the radios and it's like of course kaya is up close to the waterfalls this is a world of danger I mean, look, some people wait a lifetime. I'll also say, and you know what? I'm fine receiving fierce feedback on this. How You Remind Me by Nickelback was one of the top year-end Absolutely singles. Not. Don't even go there, Allison. If you're about to say you like that song. I love that song. Wow. That's it. This is a this is a tough moment for me. This this is a tough moment for the show. There are also great songs by Eve that came out that year. Yes, please put us on something more positive. Wow. So I don't think God, Allison. What? 
Hey everyone, it's summertime. It's so exciting that everyone's kind of coming out of their pandemic shells. We're all looking for signs that nature is healing itself. I mean, Benifer's back together. What more do you need? But one of the things that has been unchanging for me throughout the pandemic is my love for cereal. And I'm so, so happy that we get to share and promote Magic Spoon as a really great healthy option if you're a fellow cereal lover. This cereal has zero grams of sugar, 14 grams of protein, four net gram carbs in each serving. It's keto friendly, gluten free, grain free, soy free, low carb and GMO free. What my favorite piece of this is, is that you can build your own box. So you can kind of look at the available flavors to build your own custom bundle, choosing from flavors like cocoa, fruity frosted, peanut butter, blueberry, and cinnamon. Um, I really like to eat Magic Spoon by combining two different flavors and making kind of like a custom combo. So, you know, you might try blueberry and fruity frosted, um, which I have, which is very good. I also love peanut butter and cocoa combo for the ages. It tastes just like a peanut butter cup. So if you want to check this out, go to magicspoon.com slash American Girls Pod to grab a custom bundle of cereal and try it today. And be sure to use our promo code American Girls Pod at checkout to save $5 off your order. And Magic Spoon is so confident in their product, it's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. Remember, get your next delicious bowl of cereal at magicspoon.com slash American Girls Pod and use the code American Girls Pod to save $5 off. I don't think a moment like this was written about brown deer, but I think it could have been. Yeah, let's get into this. So we've been waiting for this moment longer than Kelly Clarkson has been waiting for people to stop associating her with American Idol and perhaps longer than she was waiting to divorce her husband these steps on a one Reba McIntyre. Yes. I mean, and what's, what are we getting here? So she comes to this meeting and she's kind of, she is hit with, I think one of the toughest challenges in this book and that a potential in-law, not her future mother-in-law, but another family member of cut cheek basically says, Hey girl, I'm coming in to move with you. I need to like, make sure that you would be a good partner to my relative. Yeah. So we see Brown Deer in this book. It's a very much Meg March energy where she kicks everything up a notch. She's like, oh me, of course I love books in, in the Meg March way. We see her perfecting her craft. She's working so hard. And the thing I really honestly loved about this book is we're seeing all these characters from a slightly different angle because for once we don't have people so much, it does still happen, but we don't have Kaya with all this magpie baggage. We have Kaya really, I think, kind of reveling in her moment. You mentioned the story in the first chapter. She's kind of picking people up. We do have a near drowning with her dog, but for the most part in this book, it's like Kaya gets it. For some reason, like she does not have summertime sadness. She picks right up. She's like, this is my season. I'm in my stride. I totally get what's going on here. And I think part of that is Kaya is a real asset. If you were to go to, in our world, a big conference or something, I would take Kaya because she's good at sizing people up. She gets it. And she's like, I kind of see you brown deer. 
Yeah. I mean, she's a lot. I mean, she's having a fun girl summer and I'm happy for her because we need her to have some fun after all of this sadness. And I love this because Brown Deer is genuinely stressing out about this. Like I kind of understandably, this would be my nightmare. If someone was like, Hey, I'm going to move in with you girl and make sure that you're, you would take good care of your partner. I'd be like, this isn't going to end well, like for anybody. I don't want someone, I don't want to be under anybody's surveillance to any end it's not for me. It's not my time. And basically she shares this with Kaya and she's like, yeah, I don't know. I'm kind of nervous about this. And Kaya's like, I hear everything that you're saying. And now I'm going to take myself down to the river to play stick ball. I'm not using the right phrase, but essentially like the antecedent to lacrosse with my friends. She's like, you have fun. I hope it all works out. I'll be back. I got to go. Yeah. And Kaya, basically this is like, this truly is a sister sister situation because we have one sister with a potential marriage. And then we do finally get to see speaking rain again. And she comes back kind of in the midst of all of this. And we learn that her life has changed a ton. Okay. But before we even jump into that reunion, we need to address the traumatic river crossing that takes place for Kai to even appreciate that speaking rain is there. So let's just back up a hot sec. Basically, Basically, Kaya says to her grandmother, I would like to go across the river because other tribes have arrived and I want to see if there's any say she hears like there's some Salish over there and she wants to see if she can find two hawks and see if he has heard any news of speaking rain. So the grandmother's like, sounds good. Go find someone who has like a cedar canoe who can give you a ride over there. She decides to take Talo, who has grown up since we've last seen him. And this dog, I think, like, I don't know what happens, why he jumps out of the canoe. Don't remember that moment. But the illustration we get of this moment is an absolute shock. I think you know that I just, I have to be this way. And I'm sorry, but I'm interested in salmon. I would say tangentially. Oh my God, here we go. So Salmon queen. Not to flex, but page 21, the many fish leaping and splashing around the canoe excited Tatlow. He put his feet up on the side and barked at them. Get down, Kaya said. Kaya's like trying to, like, she's girl boss energy in this book. So this dog is then quickly out of the canoe. Kaya is crying out, help my dog. To be honest, this was the first time where I was thinking Kaya is near too many near drownings for my comfort at this She's point. the Jessica B. Fletcher of the American Girl franchise where it's like, geez, you seem to be present at a lot of drownings and kidnappings and what's going on here? Also, I kind of felt for these two ladies who were giving her a ride because it's like, they were just trying to like go about their day and cross the river. And they think they're doing this good deed. And then this girl has to bring her dog who gets distracted by the salmon jumping. And suddenly it's like, how did this canoe not topple over? This canoe is complex. I will say, you know, that is also something I've Can done. I see a blueprint? Like, I don't, I can't follow the engineering of this canoe. Mary, have you been whitewater rafting? Uh, absolutely not. I would try it. I would love oh, okay. that. I've just not had the opportunity. I've done it a few times and frankly enjoyed it very much. I don't know that I'm taking Kaya because I feel like she's going to bring a dog. Um, 
Where this chapter takes us though, you're absolutely right. I was trying to bypass it, which wasn't right. I was trying to cut out the crossing. We do finally get to see speaking rain again. And to your earlier point, almost immediately we have this strange conversation where, you know, so much has going on. Speaking rain makes a face. I have so much to tell you, she said, but I smell rain in the air and don't you hear the wind rising? And it's like, she turns into a 1970s rock ballad and it's like, okay, I do kind of want more for her and I'm not alone in this. We had a really great listener reach out to us and recommend an article by Sammy Schlack who writes about disability in these different books. And I'm going to summarize her take on Kaya's sister this way. She basically says it's a bit of a question mark. (laughs) I'm paraphrasing. That feels like an honest assessment. I'm open to it. I'm open to it. It's, it's a weird, it's a weird depiction where it's like, I'm sorry, we literally have not seen this person in how many books, like how many days in the course in the world of this book. And the first thing, it's like we have to automatically believe or be impressed by her having like a supernatural meteorological gift. Like, can't we just have a moment of pure joy? I don't know. And also she gets there. They find each other again because of Tatlo, because she brought Speaking Rain's doll at the last minute and Tatlo smells the doll. And then when they get to the other side of the river after that harrowing crossing, he like basically can suss out where that he like smells her scent and chases it. And then Kaya is like, where's the, where's Tatlo? And then follows Tatlo. And it's like, oh, here's speaking rain. And almost immediately she's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't talk. It's going to rain. So we need to put a pin in this. Yeah. This is articulated. And this is a passage from that article, um, citing something in the Kaya books, which is Kaya thinking, quote, speaking rain couldn't see. She heard everything sharply. And there's this idea that truly she does have these kind of powers and she is this kind of foil to Kaya, right? Who seems to literally and figuratively miss things quite a bit. And if we think back, the last time we encountered her, speaking rain basically told Kaya to go ahead because she feared she would be a liability. When we reconnect the two in this book, I did think this was really fascinating. Speaking Rain has made herself really indispensable and feels really valued by this other woman who's not part of her people. And this completely changes things for Kaya and Kaya and her grandmother kind of have it out over what this might mean. And frankly, Kaya is taken aback and really not happy that her sister isn't dependent in the same way she was. Yeah, I think that's a major piece of it that she's losing something that made her feel valued within her family or, you know, that she had this role that she kind of gave herself of taking care of speaking rain. And also, I thought it was interesting that you have a parallel incidence of people taking vows in this in these books. So essentially what speaking rain says is. I'm taking a vow to stay with white braids, the person who saved her and who's been taking care of her because, you know, she needs, she's older and actually I help care for her 
in, in addition to her caring for me. And because she saved my life, essentially we learned speaking rain was kind of abandoned by the tribe that kidnapped her. She went down to the water to wash one day and came back and like everyone was gone. And so we have this like very tragic depiction of her life for a couple of days. And then this woman happens upon her and kind of takes her and restores her to health. So she feels a sense of obligation, but you also sense this isn't just obligation. They have a real relationship. And you learn that White Braids' other daughter, um, her daughter had passed. And so Speaking Rain is kind of stepping into that role, but also it's a reciprocal relationship. So she says to Kaya, look, I'm going to take a vow. I haven't even told White Braids yet that I'm going to stay with her, even though I've found you and I'm so excited about this, I'm going to stay with her. And she's in a different tribe. So this is complicated because they won't be living together. And so as you're saying, Kaya goes home and is like, I don't know, she's talking about taking a vow. And she says this to the grandmother, not thinking or remembering that in the last book, the grandmother was telling her to stay away from the dogs. And she was like, no, 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 can do grandma. I took a vow. So it's kind of like she has a short memory in a sense. And I think the grandmother has to kind of remind her of this. Okay, I thought you were going in a different direction with that. So where I thought this book was really kind of fascinating in an unintentional way was we see Kaya's two sisters really diverging because part of what's happening is these two women who may or may not be peers by age, one is being prepared for a marriage, right? She's being prepared to make a vow to commit herself to this man for the rest of her life, cut cheek. And really what we're actually seeing with speaking rain is she is still making a vow, but she's binding herself to this older woman. She's putting herself in a very specific position. And honestly, what I kept thinking of is something I've become a lot more aware of, which is there can't be full marriage equality until disabled people can get married and not lose benefits. I know that probably seems like a stretch, but it's honestly what I kept thinking Mm. about with this book. It's completely assumed that one sister will have this relationship. And there's a lot of hinting by the end of the book that Kaya needs to start looking out for someone to marry eventually. Mm. And it's completely assumed that speaking rain won't fall in love, won't want intimacy with people in that way, but that she'll have intimacy with this older woman. And I found myself kind of, you know, both respecting this choice that she's making. She feels like she really owes this woman and seems to have this great relationship. But really the argument is sort of like this person gets to have this kind of romance. This person does not. That's honestly something I read out of it. Yeah, I think that's absolutely accurate. And I think that comes from a long tradition in all kinds of literature. I mean, the example that comes to mind right now is um, Anne de Berg and Jane Austen's Pride and Prejudice. And when you meet that character, you basically, the only thing you learn about her is that she's been sickly her whole life. And it's unclear what the nature of that sickness is. It's just, she's been sickly. So because she's affiliated with illness, or not health, uh, she's assumed to be taken out of any conversation, any real conversation about partnering with someone, which is why when her mother presumes that this childhood vow or this vow that she and Mr. Darcy's mother made in childhood that their children would marry someday, Mr. Darcy's like, well, obviously that was never going to happen because she's sickly. Like there's just this assumption running through the book that that was never going to happen, not only because he wasn't attracted to her, but also because she was almost like this other category of person who, as you're saying with speaking rain is taking out of 
conversations about partnerships or desire. And you're right. It's really wrong. It also just reminds me of, in an interesting way, contemporary conversations that would have happened, you know, thousands of miles away, let's say on the East coast in kind of a Felicity type context, she would be being born actually right around this time and thinking of women who would very quickly get relegated as spinsters, right? That they have a service, they will do caretaking. They will do all these kinds of things within their families, but they won't get to experience the kind of partnership that others are expected to take on. And I found myself kind of torn with this piece of character development because she seems happy with white braids. And I don't want to take that away from her, but it is this like very quick kind of foreclosure of other things for her. And especially in contrast with learning that Kaya is supposed to be kind of like on the lookout. Well, and I'm kind of wondering if it's possible in her life that this could be a both and. So, I mean, could it be that she's both with white braids and doing this sort of hybrid family thing that Kaya suggests where she spends kind of half her time with Kaya's family and half with white braids Could it be that she is sort of adopted as a daughter by white braids in a sense, but then there's also the shared understanding that she will also become independent of even this new chosen family and be partnered with someone else in the future? I don't know. I mean, I don't know if there's like an age limit or expectation within the culture when you're no longer expected or thought to want to partner with someone. What's interesting is if you pay attention to how Speaking Rain, Brown Deer, and Kaya interact in in the second to last chapter, or towards the very end, actually, I apologize, we have Kaya learning from Brown Deer her kind of techniques to wow her potential in-laws and to kind of wow and dazzle people. And it's this like very telling kind of minor moment on page 62. We have Brown Deer picking up paint from Speaking Rain and it says, quote, um, she gave her a large muscle shell in its place. Hold this for me now. I want to mix up some paint. And it's kind of this interesting moment where it's basically like, you're my assistant. Whereas the way that she talks to Kaya is like, I'm giving you instruction for the future. And maybe Mm. I'm reading too much into that, but I think there is a difference there. No, I think you're right. I mean, I think there is some othering there and it's sort of particularly surprising in light of the fact of articles that folks have written about these books and particularly about speaking rain saying, you know, realistically, the expectation would have been that she learned to care for herself at a very young age, that there wouldn't be this kind of overprotective, almost kind of mothering from Kaya that we see in the early books. And I wonder, you know, if that was the depiction that they went with instead, would we still have this othering or this kind of foreclosing of an opportunity for speaking rain, you know, as she enters young adulthood or the age when it was expected that people partner and marry? Yeah, I was just so uh, disappointed in a way because so something that happens towards the end, and again, Kaya really is coming in her own, is Kaya who comes up with this idea, for lack of a, a better phrase, of an almost split custody of her sister that she'll spend part of her time with one community and another part with 
the family that she's known for many years. And it does kind of feel like not to quote the Karen Carpenter movie, like, is this love or control? Karen famously (laughs) says to her mother, like that's control. That's not love. Right. And it does seem like people are making decisions for her as opposed to with her. And I think there's a very long history of that in what becomes the United States of not really honoring the rights of people and not really giving them the full expression to be who they are. In the modern context, a lot of it comes back to people losing life-saving benefits if they choose to live with a partner or get a job of a certain kind. So that's kind of what was running through my mind. No, I think that makes sense. And to return to your earlier Little Women reference, it's kind of like, how would it have played if Beth came to Meg and Amy, let's say, or Joe and said, um you can't move out to try to be a writer and you can't get married to John Brooks um, or you can get married to John Brooks as long as you understand that you're going to live half the time with him and then half the time with us. That's a perfect compromise. And admittedly, like the compromise is based on both groups being migratory, but which is not the case of little women, but still it's like, no, (laughs) you can't, you can't conceive of someone trying to, or offering that kind of compromise, which in a way is, is kind of childlike, right? Like trying to perfect or prevent the thing that is causing you anxiety or, or, um, stress. And, you know, it works out for her because speaking rain goes for it and their lifestyle supports that kind of you know, coming back and forth, which wouldn't, I guess, work in little women, but it's hard to imagine another context where someone would sort of, you know, validate a child's wish fulfillment. Yeah. And maybe that's part of why I enjoyed this book so much. And, you know, when you're a kid and you come up with what you think is a great solution to something, and then you look back and you think, "Mm, that was, that was not really the solution. I'm, I'm glad I didn't have, you know, the money making power in that moment or something like that it does seem like there are cultural aspects of this. Like you're saying that make Kaya's proposal really reasonable. I guess for me, it's, you know, kind of this shutting off of other conversations that made me kind of feel right. We end this book with, it's a very Kirsten type ending where she talks about how her heart is full, right? Her heart feels so Mm. bright. She's like super into the sports. She's super into the fishing. You know, she feels really fulfilled. And I think, you know, listeners weigh in, I'd really love to go kind of deeper into this character and kind of hear from people in some of the supplemental materials about, you know, where else this character could have gone or where else the authors actually took her. Cause I, I know that she has a few books that are just about speaking rain. Yeah. I'd be interested to hear that as well. You know, like in a way it's kind of like a third sex in a sense of like, you're not, you're, you're a life. It's kind of like, um, we had a friend who used to talk about widows this way in early American history that they kind of weren't under, they had different rights than women had in the past. Like they could own property, they could vote in some circumstances. So this is sort of like less rights, obviously, as you've described, but how do you position someone in this changing culture, especially when just like Kaya, her life cycle is going to go across like further colonial contact? Like, does that, what kind of impact does that have on her life and her, you know, ability to survive? I wonder. Yeah. I would say less rights is sort of the subtitle of all the (laughs) foreshadowing in these series. Yeah. Okay. So Mary, when you were younger, you were probably looking for different places to get information about your skin or like different care and keeping of you concerns. And 
Maybe that came for you in a book. Maybe you were lucky enough to have the internet, but it can be super hard to know what actually works. For example, should you be putting Windex on your face a la my big fat Greek wedding? I never Guessing tried no. that. For legal reasons, I did not try that. Oh my but God. There is a different way, which is Apostrophe, a prescription skincare company that offers science-based so real oral and topical medications clinically proven to help with acne and other skin issues. Yeah, so apostrophe has been kind of a godsend to us. I mean, we've had different skincare journeys, but I think the thing we can both agree on is that in your 30s, your skin is not a foregone conclusion. You know, maybe your skin rebels against you. That's my story. Never really had any teen tragic skincare stories, but my 30s are somewhat of a different story. You know, am I afraid I'm turning into a crone? Hard to say, but apostrophe has been really easy and effective to work with. So just so you know how it works, you basically go on their website, you answer some very brief, easy questions, and then you're matched with a real dermatologist. And they you know, actually look at photos of your skin, of your face, and they tailor a plan to your exact needs. And submitting this visit was super quick. And it didn't require me to schedule an appointment, which is really helpful in busy days, even working at home during a pandemic. Something I loved about what I received was it came in this really great little box right in my mailbox. It felt awesome when I actually put it on my face, which is also always huge. And we have a special deal just for our audience. You can save $15 off your first visit with a board-certified dermatologist at apostrophe.com slash American Girls Pod when you use our code American Girls Pod. This code is only available to our listeners. I was thinking about how each book really did very carefully introduce something essential that readers really should walk away with understanding about the Nuz Purse. And I was thinking about book one, how important the horse is, right? And, and we really learn about the centrality of the horse and also how that is, is a first step in radical changes to the culture. And then book two, we, we learn a bit about education and training, and there's some kind of groundwork laid for Indian boarding schools and that loss of life. And then thinking about these last two books, both I think have done a brilliant job of implementing bits and pieces of disruptions to ecosystems. So in the previous book, we learned about wolves. And in this book, we learn about salmon and it doesn't take a lot of research to see that the life that we read about in this book, these moments are not possible now because of dams that were built and major, major damage that was done to these people, to salmon people. And I think that was really striking to me thinking, you know, giving credit where it's due, how these very complicated topics, I don't think that we've had this kind of depth this way with other books. Yeah, I think this peek into the past is probably the best one we've had so far because it tells a very focused and clear story about this specific place where the story is set. And as you've said, the devastating effects that, you know, colonial supervision or ownership in the form of engineering had on a space that was absolutely vital to this community and really kind of attempts to mitigate or deal with that ever since. Obviously, I think that dam was built in what, 1957? Yeah, so there's intervention in earlier decades by the Army Corps of Engineers, but it's the 1950s when this major dam is put in. And there have been different 
damages, like no pun intended, different lawsuits over the years, but there's a fundamental disagreement uh, between the Nez Perce and the federal government because of their treaty and the fact that their treaty should have protected them from the implementation of this dam. I was reading in the Seattle Times that uh, there has been $18 billion spent on trying to restore what the Nez Perce carefully cultivated for over 11,000 years. Wow. That's absolutely just staggering. And that's just in recent years. And there's, there's a lot of controversy over, you know, what can be done at this point because the damage has been so significant. According to one article, there's been settlements of almost $27 million to compensate for the loss of what was found here. But I think, you know, I'm thinking also of the devastating news that's come out of Canada with the Indigenous boarding school. There is no dollar amount right. for this, right. right? There's, there's, and like a dam is such an amazing metaphor. It's like you never undo what has been done to these waterways when you dam them. Like, please look this up. We'll post pictures. You can't undo this. You can't, you can't. And the photos of the Nez Perce tribe, like fish, there are photos from the fifties of tribal members fishing in the area that will become the dam. And it's just so heartbreaking to look at that scene and think, wow, that's never going to happen again. Not exactly in that way. No. And a $3,000 payout per person doesn't change that. And I mean, the story of the boarding schools is so tragic and so awful both this latest news that's come out of finding over 200 bodies of children who died at these schools in Canada, but then also, you know, the United States has a very long and um, also tragic history with these kinds of programs to air quotes, civilize Native Americans by taking children off reservations or communities at young ages and putting them into boarding schools. And obviously the care was, terrible. And I actually just found a documentary that PBS made years ago um, about the Nez Perce. And it was hosted by a member of the tribe who is also a newscaster. And in the piece of it that I had time to watch, I just found it literally earlier today. You know, you get these heartbreaking narratives of elders in the tribe who recall being sent to boarding schools, not unlike the ones that are in the news right now. And it's just, it's hard because like you're saying, no amount of money can give them back the time that they lost. For example, someone was describing the fact that they never really got to know the elders in their own family because they missed so much time with them being sent to a boarding school hours and hours away. So they were robbed of the ability to learn their own history through oral tradition and whatever else, like from their elders. And as you've said about in a different context, like no amount of money is going to get that back for them. No. And I think that these books are imperfect, but we also know that they really mean a lot to people. And I was reflecting on this kind of, you know, what are, what are my like bigger thoughts about where we are with Kaya so far, right? Before we get ready to wrap up with at least her six canonical books. And part of what I was thinking is, you know, even when there are problems, right? If this plants a seed of empathy that maybe wouldn't have been there before, we hear from people that these books made them really curious and wanted to understand better. And I think 
there's limits to that, right? You know, could this have been done by the Nez Perce people? Yes. And, and they were involved. Could it have been done differently? Yes. I have learned so much about something I really knew almost nothing about by exploring around the margins of this book. And also it's like, I'll keep Kaya in my brain, right? Like she has made me think differently. And I think that's where it's like, yes, we point out problems. Yes. I'm being critical of speaking rain and that representation, but, um, I do want to sort of credit. I, I love this. Someone posted a review in the words of their six-year-old LJ said, I liked it because it showed love for others. And I think Part of what's great about this book is that love for others is not just people, it's for environment. And I think, like you said, that can go too far and turn it into caricature. But I think the fact that we see this really tight bond that Kaya has with this world around her, I think this book did kind of hit that note very well. Yeah. And I think it it speaks back to, at least it raises awareness, as you said, Kaya living in your head, like you now have this consciousness that asks you, that invites you to question things that we see in our everyday life that we just accept as natural. And I think one of those things is extractive capitalism in all kinds of forms. And, you know, if we're thinking about children's books, pair this book with The Giving Tree. And if you've not read that, it's basically the story of a man and a tree and the tree like literally cuts itself down and like gives this guy every everything it can to help him at its literal own expense. And to me, that was always a really sad book about like people who have no boundaries. And also like it suggests that our relationship with nature should be to just as something that should serve us. We should just take what we need from it until there's nothing left. And obviously we're living through a really, you know, we're starting to live through the tragic end result of that, which is real effects on our climate and our world. But if imagine if you gave someone instead the Kaya books where you can see imagined in front of you a different kind of relationship with nature that challenges the things that kids and everyone else are conditioned to think is natural. I think that's really powerful. I, I, I couldn't agree more. I think Kaya, I wasn't sure at first when we started reading her books, because there are so many of these challenging topics, right? How is this all going to balance out? I do want to say too, like we love when we hear from people about what this person means to you, right? Like why is Kaya something that you really felt connected to? And I think this book finally unlocked that for me, where I felt so much of a relationship to her and that feeling you have when you're nine, that you don't want things to change, but you know, they already have. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Kaya. Kaya. I mean, honestly, you know, I'm really coming around and, you know, I'm absolutely loving like living in 2002 with Kaya, you know, Lincoln park was, you know, you know, we'll talk about that next time. I don't think Allison, I mean, I'm still thinking about your Nickelback comments and, you know, I mean, talk about extractive capitalism. Like I was forced to endure that song so many times on the radio and it's like, what did I get out of that? What did I get back? In the end, it doesn't really no, matter. No, Allison, no. I will, I will do that every time. I listen, I have, you know, I have no problem doing that. Wow. <laughs> so I just wanted to say too, I was really reflecting on the people who've gone on this Kaya journey with us. It's not over. Don't worry. But we have, you know, we've passed that halfway point. And I was thinking of the people who listen to us, you know 
lawyers, people who are raising families, people who are running community maker spaces, people who have done voice acting on true crime episodes. Hi, Samantha. No, but all these really fascinating, dynamic people. And we really do love to hear from you like what Kaya pulled out for you, right? For us, it's it's all these other variables, but really reflecting on that and just feeling grateful that people share with us. If you're going to cite a lyric, that's also fine too. I mean, please let it not be Nickelback. Sorry in advance. I just, I really want to like everyone who DMs us and- you know, that's just coming in at a loss. That's all I'm going to say. And maybe I'll post this if I can. There are so, it's like a subgenre of YouTube of people who stack Nickelback songs just to prove that they're all the same song. I can't. I have no problem with that. I like what I like. Okay. Well, you know what? And I celebrate that. And you know, I'm glad it exists for, for you to enjoy. Do I want to enjoy it with you? Like possibly not, but you know, yeah, I, I chat, that. I hope you're okay. I don't know. I mean, Avril Lavigne was the Canadian I chose in that moment. And I don't regret that choice. Yeah. Like she was brave enough to spell with numbers and letters and say, see you later, boy. She didn't need any more hits. She went out on top of skater boy. And I'm erasing that girlfriend moment because you know, that was a copycat moment that that was not great for her. I'm fine with that. Mary, it is literally and figuratively hot in here in our heat yes. waves, if I may. So at a moment like this, I won't, I won't stop. Like you, you will have to like I'll have to pull, pull me back. back. Yes. We have some exciting things coming up on the Patreon. We are reading a favorite book of ours about museum life. We are reading from the mixed up files of Mrs. Basil E. Frank Weiler by the one and only E.L. Koningsberg for our June wow. selection. I mean, this, to say that this is one of my favorite all-time books, it, I'm so excited that this is a Patreon suggestion. This is from the listeners. We're so excited to be taking this on. I just finished watching the three-part Met documentary that was on PBS, and I told myself it was preparation for that episode. It kind of wasn't, but like that's another story. I am so pumped up for this. We might be doing a watch-along that's museum-themed. Just going to leave it there. I love that. So excited. Love that for us. We're also doing another listener suggestion in July. If Lisa Frank, Ms. Lisa Frank has ever meant one thing to you, please jump on this Patreon July episode. We will be exploring. We are not taking one single text for this. We're taking on everything. Will I be talking about a brief documentary that was once aired on the Urban Outfitters website? (laughs) Yes. In which Lisa Frank refuses to appear on camera. You bet. I can't wait. Do I still have my sticker collection? Yeah, I do. Listen, we've been preparing for this for like possibly 20 plus years. Like, I don't even know, but I'm going to be getting into like, where does her aesthetic come from? Like, can anyone, is there even a language to explain that level of chaos? Probably not. Like, what's the Lisa Frank story? What is the culture of Lisa Frank? What's it meant to people? Why do we keep thinking about her? We're excited. We're excited. It's going to be really fun. Yeah, I hope you'll join us there. And someone recently gave uh, someone they cared about a Patreon membership to us for a birthday, which oh is my God. honestly iconic. Amazing. So you can find that. We have a link tree on our socials. We also have the American Girls Pod website. But Mary, if people want to DM you like sticker leads in advance, where should they Listen, find you? If you've also seen that Matt documentary and you have fierce feedback, you'd love to share with me. If you want to talk about Lisa Frank, if you want to talk about almost anything, find me on Instagram at Mimi Mahoney. 
and on Twitter at Mary Mahoney one, two, three. Now, Allison, if someone wants to challenge you with your, over your knowledge of either salmon or dams or Lisa Frank, where do we get in touch? Yeah. I mean, let's talk about dams and let's not hold back. I'm at Allison Horrocks on Twitter and Instagram. You can find me there where occasionally I do, you know, dog polls. You never know what you're going to get. We love when you follow us on Twitter. Did not know our DMs were closed for two years. Thank you for that fierce feedback. I was not aware. Um, That was an accident. We are a girl's pod on that platform. And we love when you reach out to us there. We, we love it. It's, it's such a cool community. And I love seeing when new people join the Patreon and they get to the discord, we get like a welcome so-and-so like, and it says your username. And I absolutely love when other members of the community reach out and welcome that person. And it's just like, it's such a sweet vibe and, you know, a lot of good energy there, a lot of good convos. So just thanks to everyone who's joined there. And thanks to all of you for joining us here. We so love doing this and getting to hear from everybody. And, you know, we're just looking forward to the next episodes. Thank you.